Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be turning to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2, we'll focus on that. I want to remind you that 2020 is the year of revival. We are seeking for God to revive us, to revive our hearts in our, as a Christian, to have a closer walk with Him than we've had in many a day, to revive our families, to revive our church, to revive our nation. We are seeking for that revival we so desperately need that the Lord wants to send to us. And I just ask you to be open and honest and ready for what the Lord would have you do and to meet with Him. And we're going through God's Word on Sunday mornings, and we're talking about this aspect of revival. Two weeks ago, Brother Ryan was here last week, did a fabulous job talking about revival. But two weeks ago, we started this message when we talked about a city that needed revival. A city that needed revival. It's found there in 2 Kings. We'll read it in just a moment. Whenever we were looking at that city, though, we found out that it needed revival because something had happened. This city had grown into a large city around a spring of water that was life-giving water. In order to have a city, in order to live, you have to have life-giving water. And so they had this spring that worked, but something happened. We don't know what happened to that spring, but something happened that the water became bad. And because the water was bad, it caused the land to be unfruitful. And the people found themselves in a desperate situation. Such a desperate situation. If something didn't happen to the water and it wasn't healed and it didn't change, the city would die. It would no longer be there. So they heard about the leaders of this city, the men of the city who were the leaders. They, they heard about a man of God. His name was Elisha. And that Elisha had the power of God upon his life. So they went to see the man of God. As they went to see the man of God, they're going to ask God, Jehovah God, for his help. That's how you communicate in the Old Testament era. If you're going to talk to God, you talk to the man of God. So they went to Elisha, and they're approaching him about this need in their city so that they can have something that is done. And whenever they approach him, they basically said, Behold now the situation of our city. Behold now the situation of our city. For it looks good on the outside. It is pleasant to the eye. But when you look on the inside, the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. Well, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about these things that must happen if revival is going to come to that city and to our life. The first thing is you have to be honest and open, right? You have to be honest and open. And those men were honest and open about their city. They said, come and behold, come and look at our city. And and don't just look at the outside. On the outside, it looks good. But on the inside, there's some real problems. And, And that description of the city is sometimes description of our lives. Sometimes we look really good on the outside, but on the inside, we got some needs that we need for the Lord and need for God to do something about. And if you're going to have revival, just like this city's going to experience revival, you got to be honest and open and let God come and see who you are and look at the depths of your life and the needs of your life. But not only were they open and honest, they were also urgent. It said, behold now 
Behold, now, not, not a week from now, not a year from now. We can't wait a week from now. We can't wait a year from now. We need you now to come and do something for us. We need it right now. And that's the urgency of revival. See, I, if you remember, I share with you that procrastination is an enemy to revival. In other words, it will say, well, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do that later. And I'll take care of that later. If you keep procrastinating, you keep pushing things off, you're never going to experience revival because in order to have revival, you've got to be urgent about it. It's got to be something you want, and you want it now. You want the Lord to do something in your heart now. Well, once they were open and honest and they were urgent before the man of God, the man of God then tells them to do something. He says, we'll look at that more closely today. He said, I want you to go get a jar a new jar, a new cruise, and I, and I want you to put salt in it, and I want you to bring it to me. Now, that's kind of an unusual command. We'll talk about that today. But one of the things I want you to notice, it says they did, it says, and they brought it to him. In other words, they were obedient. So not only do you have to be honest and open and urgent, but you got to be obedient. you got to be obedient to whatever God tells you to do. And as we'll talk about today, that was kind of an unusual command. But even though it was an unusual command, they did exactly what he said to do. They brought it to him. And whenever they were open and honest and they were urgent and they were obedient to what the man of God said, then God responds. The man of God responds and a miracle takes place. Let's read that today. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 19 and following. Then the men of the city said to Elijah, Behold now the situation of this city is as my Lord sees, but it's pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And he said, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And he went out to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall be no longer any death or unfruitfulness any longer there. So the waters have been purified to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Now, I hope you leave your Bibles open as we look at three things about God's response. The first of those I've talked about briefly, and that is the unusual, the unusual prescription. The unusual prescription. What did he say they had to do in order for their water to be made good again? This is what he said. Get me a new jar, a new cruise, and put salt in it and bring it to me. A new jar, put salt in it and bring it to me. That's, that's really an unusual prescription of how to make bad water good. But that's what he said do, and that's exactly what they did. Now, if you'll understand the symbolism of each of those things, it'll help you understand a little bit about what, what the man of God was telling them that God wanted out of their life. The first thing was, he says, bring me a new jar or a new cruise. All throughout scripture, you'll find about vessels or jars or cruises or all those kind of things, something that's going to be filled up. And in a few weeks, we'll talk about another uh, a message about a widow who has to go and find all kind of jars to have those jars filled up with oil miraculously. And the requirement of that lady was this, that you go get a jar that is empty. It doesn't have anything in it. Because you know what? In order for God to fill anything, it has to first be empty. Did you hear that? 
In order for God to fill anything, it has to first be empty. God, nowhere in Scripture does God fill something that is already full or half-filled. It has to be empty. And just like the requirement there is go get not only an empty jar, but I want you to get a new jar, it has to be empty to be filled. Not only do you say it's empty, in this case, it has to be new. You know what that symbolizes? It's a new work. It's never been done before. Nobody's ever used it before. It's not, it's not something that's been reused. It's a brand new use. And, and it symbolizes a brand new work of God. God wants to do something brand new that has never, ever been done before. Now, what does that say to you and me about our life? Well, if God is going to do a new work in our life, and that's what revival is, a new work in our life, a couple of things are going to have to be true. One thing is you're going to have to be empty so he can fill you. For see, revival is simply God filling you or his Holy Spirit filling and overflowing your life. But he's not going to be able to fill your life when it's full of something else or when it's half full of something else. And you're going to have to empty yourself out. And it is so easy in this world to fill our lives with a bunch of stuff, isn't it? I mean, everywhere they want someone to fill your life with stuff. And what you've got to be willing to say is, Lord, I want to be filled with you. And I, and I want you inside of me. And I want you controlling me. So the Lord's going to say, it's, you're going to have to be empty in regard to that. But not only are you going to have to be empty in regard to that, you are going to have to let me do a new work in your life. A new work in your life. Do you want God to do something new in your life? We have to guard against the fact of being nostalgic. You know what nostalgia is? It's looking backwards, and it's usually looking backwards in a more favorable way than it actually happened. And people can be nostalgic all the time. They can talk about it all the time. Man, I remember the way it used to be. Boy, I remember the way it used to be in our city. I remember the way it used to be in our church. I remember the way it used to be in my life. Listen, my friend, God does not want us to be nostalgic. He doesn't want us talking about what happened back then. He wants to do something new in our life today. See, the best things of life are not what is in the past. The best things in life are still what is ahead of you. And you've got to want and desire and allow the Lord to do some new work. So quit looking backwards and quit thinking about what it used to be and ask the Lord to do something new in your heart and new in your life and be willing to be empty in your heart and life and say, Lord God, come and do something in me. Do something in my heart and in my life. That's exactly what he said. Bring a new jar, a new cruise. It's never been done, never been used before because this is going to be a brand new work of God. But not only did he say, bring me a new jar or a new cruise, he said this, put salt in it. Put salt in it and bring it to me. Well, they did exactly what they were commanded. They, they took and they put salt in that new jar and they brought it out to the man of God. They brought it just as he had commanded. Why then does he want salt? What is that about the prescription? Because of what salt represents. Do you understand that salt in the Bible represents the presence of God? Let me show you something. Hold your hand here for just a minute and turn back to the book of Leviticus. You know Leviticus, that law book? This is what it says about a grain offering, and it symbolizes all the offerings. It says, verse 13 of Leviticus 2, Leviticus 2, 13. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt. 
So that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer what? Salt. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Whatever that offering would be, whatever that sacrifice would be, whatever that bringing to all, it was to be offered with salt. The salt was placed in the grain offering. The salt was literally rubbed into the hide of the animal that we sacrificed because salt represented the presence of God. And whenever this offering is going to be offered, it's not just that offering. It's that the presence of God would be in that offering. The presence of God would be in that place. If you look in the book of Ezra, just write it down. Ezra 7.22, I think is the verse. Ezra 7.22, when Ezra was reestablishing the sacrificial system, whenever they came back to reestablish Jerusalem, it says you can bring this and bring that and so many pounds of this, but it says, and bring salt without number. <laughs> bring salt abundantly. Why did he say to bring salt abundantly? Because that salt was a part of the sacrificial system. That salt represented the presence of God. It's no difference in the New Testament. Salt in the New Testament represents the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember when it says in Matthew 5, whatever Jesus says to his disciples, he says, and you shall be the salt of the earth. If you're going to be the salt of the earth, are you going to be the salt of the earth because of your personality? No, you're going to be the salt of the earth because the salt, the Holy Spirit of God is in your heart and in your life, in your heart and in your life represents the presence of God. In the book of Colossians, when it talks about them witnessing, it says, make sure that you take advantage of every opportunity in what you say, speaking with grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, that when you as a believer are talking and you're speaking, make sure that what you're saying is seasoned with the presence of God, that your speech should symbolize the presence of God. So salt represents the presence of God. Get the picture now? It's going to be, listen, it's going to be a brand new work that God is going to do, and His Holy Spirit is the one who's going to have to do it. The presence of God is going to make a difference in this new work. Well, that shouldn't surprise us that the Spirit of God is the one who has to do it. In Genesis 1, verse 2, it says that the Holy Spirit moved over the waters to bring about life and creation, didn't it? Yeah. In John chapter 3, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he's talking about being born again. You know what he said? He said, and the Spirit moves and blows like the wind. Because salvation, life anew, life again is by the Spirit. He gave life initially in Genesis. He gave life again and renewed life, spiritual life in, in John 3. And then he's going to give revived life through this experience of a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. So he says to them, here's this new jar, the presence of God, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Then what happens? Well, look there in your, in your Bible. In verse number 21, 
He takes the jar, he takes the salt in the jar, and says he went out to the spring of water, listen now, and he threw that salt into it. He threw that salt into it. That's that's what he did. Now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. If you were trying to make bad water good, would you put salt in it? Would you? No. If you were trying to make good water bad, would you put salt in it? Absolutely. So he says, bring me that new jar. And he takes the jar and he throws the water in it. He throws the salt into the water and that's going to make things new. It's not the way I, I could figure it out. I learned a long time ago that salt and water, that, that salt does not make water better. I, I learned it when I was a little boy. I was a little boy. I, I grew up in, on the coast of Mississippi. On the coast of Mississippi, if, if in the summertime, it's, it's 100 degrees and 98 humidity. It's hot. So you know what we like to do in the summertime? Some of you do that too. We like to make homemade ice cream. Y'all ever made homemade ice cream? Do y'all still make homemade ice cream? Raise your hand if you rate. I see one or two hands. Homemade ice cream has a past art, I guess. But homemade ice cream, have you ever had the chance to do that? Well, nowadays, it's really easy. If you've got a homemade ice cream maker, you just put the mix in there, put salt in, in the water, uh, the ice in there, and you plug it in. Before long, you got ice cream, right? Hey, I'm much older than that. There were none of those electric things. You know what? You know what you had to do? You had to crank it. Did y'all hear that? Young people, young people, wake up just a second. Did you hear what I said? You had to crank it. And that means turning it like this, all right? Do your hand like this so you know that. What to, do your hand. You got it. You got it, okay? So you have to crank it. I'm going to tell you, the ice cream tasted a whole, much, whole lot better when you had to work that hard for it, you know? It really did taste better. But I, when I was young, I wasn't, I wasn't strong enough to turn that crank. So I had the most important job of all. You know the most important job of all? Sitting on the ice cream maker while somebody else turns it. Now, they told me it was the most important job. So I would sit there on that little boy sitting there on that ice cream maker. And, and the ice is there and it's hot and can't wait for the ice cream to come out. And when you'd sit there, there the mixture in there is, is ice, pretty ice, and, and then they put salt in it, Okay. And on the side of the ice cream maker, there is a hole. I'm, y'all, a lot of you have been educated. I'm t- y'all going to have to go Google this. I can tell. There, there, there's, a, there's a hole. That's so that the water will drip out of it instead of getting in the ice cream. But whenever you're a little boy and you're sitting there and you're watching and you're thirsty and it's hot and you're waiting for the ice cream to be made, coming out of that hole every once in a while is a little chunk of ice. And some good-looking water. So what do you do? Well, boys, reach down there, take a piece of that ice, and put it in their mouth. And you spit it out. Because why? It's got salt in it. it doesn't, salt doesn't make it better to drink. It doesn't, it doesn't make it good. So how, how does this unusual prescription of putting salt into this bad water how does it how does it change it it's because the of the undeniable power look at it there in verse 21 it says and he went out to the spring of water and he threw salt in it here it is listen thus says the lord thus says the lord 
I have purified these waters. There shall not be from their death or unfruitfulness any longer. That is the undeniable power. What is it? Thus says the Lord. How can salt in a jar being thrown into bad water make bad water good? Because thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, I am purifying these waters. There shall be no death. There shall be no unfruitfulness any longer. Thus saith the Lord. That is the undeniable power. Take that jar, a new work of God, and put the presence of God in it. And when the presence of God is thrown into the midst of it, bad water becomes good. Unfruitfulness becomes life. Restoration and revival has happened. It's a new work of God because God said so. Because God said so. Now, I don't know if you realize that that statement that statement and that truth, it answers a very, very important question. All right, everybody pay attention just a minute. This is an answer to an important question you have asked. Are you going to have somebody sometime to ask you this? Here, here's, the, here's the important question. How can a man named Jesus, who died 2,000 years ago on a cross... How can that forgive me of my sin? Hear that question? Listen. How can the death of a man named Jesus 2,000 years ago on a cross, a long time before I ever lived, how can what he did offer me forgiveness and salvation and get me to heaven? You know what the answer is? Thus saith the Lord. Oh, really? Yeah. You remember John 3, 16? (laughs) For God so loved the world. These are the words of Jesus. Don't forget, they're in red letter in your Bible. If you got a red letter edition, you got that? Hey, listen, what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's the one who's speaking these words, that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but what? But shall have everlasting life. That's how what he did changes your life. Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) Those men probably couldn't figure out how a jar of salt being thrown into bad water makes bad water good. But they certainly understood the words of the man of God when he said, Thus saith the Lord, the bad water becomes good. Unfruitfulness becomes life. And that is the undeniable power that makes the difference. One other thing, though, I want you to see something about the work of God. It's there in verse 22. That's what it says. So the waters have been purified to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he 
spoke. Now, I love that. I love that. It's a little editorial note, a little editorial note that's written in there that I don't think is really necessary, but it's written in there. The editorial note is, it's still working. What God did is still at work. It's purified. These waters have stayed pure, and they're pure to this day. And, and, and there's fruitfulness in the land, and, and the land still lives, and the city still exists. See, there's an unending result when God does what God does. There's, there's an unending result. And that unending result is whatever he said will take place, takes place, and lasts forever. Why? Because he's an eternal God. What God does, God deals with eternity. What God promises, God promises for eternity. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad God didn't get up on Monday in a bad mood and change his mind about all of our salvation and grace? I'm glad, aren't you? I'm glad he's not like me. I'm glad he's always the same. He never, ever changes. And the unending result is the waters have stayed purified. That little editorial note about what God did. Well, I can tell you that that's true. You know why? Because I've been to this city. You know what this city is? The city that's described here is the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho. If you go to the city of Jericho, you can they'll identify the spring of water that was made pure through the salt being thrown in it, and thus saith the Lord to make it right. And I've been to Jericho on a couple of occasions, and there's still life there, and there's still fruitfulness there, and there's still a city there. Why is that? Because thus saith the Lord, and what he says, it keeps on working. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that what he does in our hearts and does in our lives will have an unending result? That means when he saved you, it's an unending result. You're always saved. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. You, you mean I'm always saved? Yes, you are. You know why? Because your salvation is not based on what you do. It's based on what he did. All you're doing is believing what his word says and trusting in his word. And his word says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that is a settled issue. And when he saved you, it's a settled, unending result. But that's true with revival. Whenever you're needing for God to do a fresh work in your life and you need the presence of God to come into your heart and your life in a fresh new way, whenever the Lord will move in your heart and life and revive you and renew you and do that work in you, you will never ever be the same. Because an eternal God has unending results unending results so that's how God responded to people who said Lord we want to be open and honest Lord we want you to see us for who we are we want you to see us from the inside out there's anything in us something in us that's not there shouldn't be there Lord we want you to do that 
We don't want you to do it tomorrow. We don't want you to do it a year from now. Lord, we want you to do it right now. We want you to come in and, and change our heart and change our life. And, and whatever you command us to do, even though we don't understand, even though it doesn't make sense to us, even though we can't grasp it and see how it's going to work, whatever you command us to do, we will do it. And when you will do those three things that we talked about earlier, then I promise you, the Lord God will speak. And he'll do what he said he will do, and he'll work in your heart and in your life. You may not understand how it's happening. You may not understand all that's taking place. But I promise you, if you'll just hang on, the Lord will show you. And he'll renew you. And that will be an unending result in your life. You will never, ever be the same once he revives your heart and revives your life. See, just like this city needed revival, so we do. Amen? So our church does. So our nation does. Oh, we need a revival. We need a fresh touch from God. A fresh touch from God. That God, when he makes that change in us, will never, ever be the same have you come to that place of desiring that wanting that longing for that that's my prayer that God creates a hunger in our heart a desperation in our spirit that we want a new work of God in our lives the Holy Spirit working that concludes this week's message from Brother Mac Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.